I officially completed my projects for the end of December on my December December vacation on January 2nd, 2020. Better late than never. Better late than never. Of course, my wife and I are like two months behind on our reading plan to finish the Bible by December 31st. So we're going to be a little late on that one too, but it's okay. It's The purpose is that we're reading together as a married couple, which I highly recommend if you don't do that. Sometimes it can be awkward when you're first starting. I remember first starting my wife, praying together, reading together, having those honest times of being open and exposed. could be hard, could be awkward, uncomfortable, but it's incredibly necessary. One of the ways that you become one in Christ as Christ is ahead of your marriage is to have that time seeking God together. In fact, I don't think you can truly become one the way God intends, marriage as God intends, unless Christ is the center of your marriage. Otherwise, you're just roommates. I don't care if you've been together for 50, 60 years. You're just roommates that live together. If you guys are not becoming one spiritually, emotionally, and all that good stuff. But this isn't a relationship dating show. No, we're not getting soft and sappy here. This is How to Build a Tent, the podcast on how to make you successful. My name is Matt Williams. Thank you for listening to the show, sharing the show. We are probably a year and a half into this whole thing, and it's been a fun ride. Let me tell you, a lot of you have been talking about starting your own podcast. Some of you have been thinking about it with the 250 making 250. That's my goal for 2020. It's 250 people or families coming together to start businesses, start side hustles, hustles, with the modest goal of simply making $250 in revenue a month. And it doesn't have to be January, February. Hopefully you can get there in March or April. But if you can't, the goal is just by the end of the year to make $250 a month. Now, hopefully you do that in the first quarter. Don't be laggards and try to like, oh, I got to a fourth quarter. Like, let's push it. But the goal is to have such a small and attainable goal of just starting, getting through the motions where you can overcome and those feelings of doubt, those feelings of inferiority and those all those other feelings that come, the nervousness, the anxiety, you could just say, hey, it's just only 250 bucks a month. I can do that. And you can, you can do that. But back to what I was saying, a lot of you are thinking about starting a podcast. Great idea. I'm not discouraging at all, but I just want you to know it's really tough. You talk to podcasters all the time. We are a little tight niche community, especially on the Fight Laugh Feast Network. We'll tell you about that in a second. But it's hard. And it's hard because you expose yourself, your ideas, you to criticism, to numbers. I love numbers. I'm a data guy. And you should be too. You should always be making data-driven decisions. And you can't escape it. If your numbers suck, there's only one person to blame or two if you're a co-host. Or three, if you're a cohort, or whatever you want to call that. But uh, numbers aren't lying, and it's hard. Remember, we talked about on that one episode on uh, things you need to know about podcasts. I think it was 320, episode 320. Uh, the reality of like 100 listeners is pretty average, and that's pretty good. If you can get 100 listeners, and that, you know, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of dedication to go into that. Luckily, God has been blessing our network, the Fight Laugh Feast Network. Go over to fightlaughfeast.com, flfnetwork.com. Any of those will do. Go to HCBT in the drop down, get a great 15 ounce mug, get tons of great content. But most of all, you're going to be supporting us as we proclaim the Lordship of Jesus in every area of life. We can't do this 
Other networks can't do this. Our show can't do this without you, without you listening, without you sharing, without you helping us grow the show. That's the deal. We try to make great content. We try to benefit you guys and bless you guys in exchange for you supporting us through finances, through prayer, through sharing, through tagging, through interacting with our content. Because no matter how great our content is, no matter how fantastic our video lighting is, which mine is not so great, if you don't share, if you don't reach out, if you don't support, then it's all going to fail. And it's a hard road. There's thousands and thousands of podcasts, and some of them failed, and some of them are great. But I am thankful to be on a podcast where we are growing, the network's growing, and you can be a part of it. Go to filehalffeast.com, put an HTBT in a memo field, and you will be blessed. I promise you, it will happen. There's no ifs, ands, buts about it. If you're like, oh, I'm never blessed. I, just I never get anything good at life. Well, go become a member, and you'll instantly be blessed. And go listen to all that content. Go listen to all that stuff behind the paywall. And you will be blessed, especially with that sales program. And you want to be part of the 250 making 250. It'll be really good to understand how sales work because, hey, you can't have a business without sales in some form or another. But anyway, support is really important. Speaking of support, well, we'll talk about that in a second. I wanted to say this too. Since we are in the beginning of the year, it's going to be the third one. This is released. I hope I'm recording this in high res. Note to self, make sure I'm recording this in high res. The other day I didn't do it. It's really important with the algorithms. Anyways, that's no, neither here nor there. Here nor there. I was also recording uh, the, my show, Reform Jellicle with 80 Robles. If you haven't checked that out, man, fantastic show. It's just a, such a great time. And you get to be part of that show and interact with us. And that's we record on Wednesdays. But we're thinking of moving to Thursdays for all those people who go to church on Wednesdays. But again, I am sidetracked on a sidetrack. What was I going to say about that? Oh, anyways, I wanted to say this about your goals. We were talking about goals and reform jellicle. That's how I was saying that. If you want your goals to last this year, if you want your New Year's resolutions to go longer than three days, four days, a week, a month, a lot of us, if we get to a month, we're lucky. The trick Along with smart, you know, the attainable, specific, measurable, all those things. You have to tie it to a vision you believe in. You know, it's nice to say, oh, I'm going to lose 10 pounds. Why are you losing 10 pounds? What benefit is it going to give you? What is that going to change in your life? I'm going to start reading more books. Why are you going to read more books? Is it because you want to disciple people? You want to grow in your faith because you want to be a mature man or woman of God? Do you see the difference? If you're just saying, I set a goal and I'm going to read 20 books this year. And it's just that. Well, why? You're going to get busy and you're not going to make the sacrifices needed. You're not going to make time. You're not going to invest in the books that are going to keep you interested and benefit you. But if you say, I'm going to read 20 books that are going to grow my faith this year, you have a better chance of keeping that or at least getting to a part of that goal because you are uh, tying that goal to a vision of yourself. Is I This is what I want to be. I know what that looks like. And these are th- goals that I am going to accomplish to get me to that vision. Do you see how effective that is? If you say, I'm going to be part of this 250 making 250 because, hey, I got nothing better to do. 
then you're probably not going to do it. The first roadblock you get, you're probably going to stop. But if you say, I want to make $250 a month so that I can help bless my family more. I can provide more for my kids. I can do more in ministry. I can give more away to the homeless people. I can give more to church. I can do more traveling or whatever it is. If you say that I'm doing it for those reasons, then when those hard times come, you can make the sacrifices. You can push through the hard times. You can push through the emotional overwhelm, the all those anxieties that come along with it because you have a vision to hold on to. That's the secret of maintaining goals or New Year's resolutions. So you got to tie it to a vision. And that's what most people are missing in the New Year. So I hope that you have made goals that are tied to your vision so that you will be successful. And if you haven't, if you don't know why you're making a goal, then modify it or change it. It's not too late. It's only the second or the third. I'm recording on the second. Coming out on the third. You may listen to it on the fourth or the fifth. It's not too late. Just modify. It's better to modify a goal a few days in that you're going to keep and that you can grab onto and help it edify and reinforce your vision than to just keep a goal that you've already created that you're going to stop and not care about in a week or two. Do it. Tie it into your goals. So speaking of speaking of support and how important it is, one of the most effective ways to look at how great you are doing as a candidate right now is not polling. What do you think it is? That's right. Show me the money. Show me the money, Jerry. Follow the money. If you have any questions or hesitations about why people are doing something, what they support, what they believe in, what you believe in, look at your pocketbook. Look at their pocketbook. Look at where the money is flowing. In the political world, to get an idea of who's going to win or where the money's going, because you're not going to be supporting someone you think's a loser, you don't support the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network because you think we're losers. You might think we're losers if you don't support us, which it hurts. It hurts inside. Just kidding. But... The numbers came out. Trump campaign raised $46 million. And I say $46 million because that dwarfs everyone else's campaign. Everyone else being the Democrats. Now, it's kind of interesting, just from that perspective, the Republican versus the Democrat, that Trump is raising more than everyone else. Because if I remember correctly, and I could be wrong, you can email me, Matt, at howtobuildattend.com. Or on the social media sites, How to Build Tent, which I'd appreciate a follow and a share on that. I could be wrong, but I think in my memory serves me correctly that a majority of the time, Democrats have always outraised the Republicans. Right? It hasn't Hillary had like the biggest war chest? Obama like crushed it. I think he was the first one to hit a billion dollars or something and spend. It was insane. And I'm pretty sure that's true. So... Trump is outraising them quarter after quarter, 46 million. The second place guy is Sanders, 34.5 million. Not Biden, Bernie. Not Biden, not Joe Biden. Bernie Sanders has the leading fundraiser on the Democrat Party. And he fell 11.5 million short of Trump. Now, do you really think Bernie Sanders is going to be the nominee? 
Well, a lot of people think they are. 34.5 million. He's a crowd favorite. But I'm willing to bet that that is more of small donations who believe that Sanders can win. But the smart money, the Democrats with the super delegates, you don't think they're going to do the same thing they did last time to Bernie Sanders? Like, why wouldn't they? Do you think Bernie Sanders, they think Bernie Sanders is going to be better this time than he was last time against Trump? No way. The only way that the Democrats will let Bernie Sanders be their nominee is if they know they're going to lose without a shadow of a doubt. And the landslide is going to be so big that they can see, well, he was just a bad candidate. That's why. It wasn't Trump. It wasn't how good the economy is because it's not that good. You know, it wasn't the tax cuts. He didn't do that much. It's all that all those things that could be said and spun like they do if Bernie Sanders is the nominee. But 34.5 million Bernie Sanders. Who is number two? Buttigieg, who in my mind was always the guy who was going to replace Biden when he screwed up too much. I always thought he was going to be the one they were going to try to push. The first gay president. He's trying to appeal to the Christians, but he's really a heretic. Oh, they don't say that. I say that. And he's like the middle of the road. He seems sensible. I heard he didn't even win his last election, though. So it's kind of concerning. I don't know if that's true or not. Fact check me. But he only raised $25 million, So he's getting to a point where it's not even double. I mean, it's almost double how much the Trump campaign won. And again, money talks. This is what is important. This is... I just I distracted myself looking at my monitor. I was like slouching a little bit. I need to shut up straight. I'm set up. My camera angle is set up straight. Where was I? Oh, money matters and who you support is who you think is going to win. Forget the poll numbers. Notice how Sanders isn't one of these top ones. Biden, 23 million, half as much as Trump. 46 million to 23 million. Biden's not going to win. He, I don't even think I'm up. Well, I take it back. He might win the nomination, but he's definitely not going to win the campaign. I mean, Trump's going to have. Can you just imagine all the gaffes Biden's going to do and how Trump's going to make fun of him? It'd be great. It would be so great, but it's not going to happen. And then last, the little sleeper, Yang, 16.5. Don't count him out yet. Andrew Yang, who's going to give you all the money in the world or however much money it's going to take to buy your vote. You know, before the Democrats would just buy your votes with policy and programs and entitlements, but Yang's just coming out and giving you money. You know, at least he's honest about it. So there you go. That is what it is looking like. And again, this is what matters. This is what matters. But I think it's just obvious that Trump is going to win. Everyone believes it with how much donation money he's getting. And he should win. He should. Not that he's a great Christian. He's not. He's not a Christian, I don't think. Not that he's a great moral leader. He's not. But where he's taking this country from where it was, he deserves to be reelected from my perspective regarding economy and trade. He's been killing it. He got that phase one trade deal. Might not be much, but it's building momentum. The markets love it. The markets have been up. Your 401ks, your retirements have been doing good. So why wouldn't you, especially when you have the alternative, why would you not vote for Trump? Because you want less money. Yang might give you a hundred bucks, but he's stealing 200 from you from the back pocket. So there's this other article that I was going to throw out, or I, I mean, not, I was going to throw out. I did, but did I close it out? I did not do that to myself. Let's see. Trump campaign, blah, blah, blah. Nice guys finished last. Hold on. I need to go into my Gmail. This is so unprofessional, but I will just say 
Thank you for everyone who has fallen the show, followed this show. Oh, this is what I wanted to talk about. As I was saying, I do really seriously thank you guys for listening to the show all the way through the Seattle $15 minimum wage law in 2014. This is a CNBC article. Here's how it turned out so far. Passed in 2014, increasing their wage to $15 an hour by 2021. Now, if you've been following this at all, you'll be noticing restaurants are going out of business. Small businesses are leaving. Uh, employees' hours are being cut. And it is just backfiring in the worst way in the world. And CNBC needs to kind of hedge against this and be like, oh, it's not really bad. The reports aren't bad. It's, it's, un, it's inconclusive. They use words like that when it's a bad policy that's liberal, like there's bad news for liberal policies. When it's bad news for a Republican policy, it's always like, oh, it's too obvious. Everyone would have called this a majority, a consensus. They all believed that those Republicans are idiots. But when it's a, you know, when it's a Democrat and their liberal policies, then it's controversial. Most some economists say that this could have hurt you, but a lot of them disagree. It was some of them disagreed. And it goes through and it talks about how people are losing their business. Okay, so but there's just some funny parts that are really interesting to me. And they use this one case study in this paragraph. It's like halfway down. the. And it says, meanwhile, the Seattle law has been life-changing for workers like Martin Johnson, who lobbied for higher pay with the advocacy group Working Washington. Now get this. This is what they say about him. He works three minimum wage jobs. A temporary cook on game days at City Stadium. So he works one day a week. I'm assuming that's the NFL stadium. I could be wrong. Maybe it's more than one day a week. I don't know. As a janitor at Costco on the overnight shift and as a handyman in his own small business, the raise brought with it more dignity for workers and boosted morale, he said. Like, oh, if this guy wanted to be part of the 250 making 250, I would reject him. Not that there's an application process, not that I even need to know about you guys starting it. I'm just pushing for 250 people. I don't even know if I'm going to really hit the goal. So it's actually a terrible goal unless except by all the emails I'm getting. I'm on probably already got like 30 or 40 of you guys who are committed to already starting things and a much more have been asking to help or asking for help and all that stuff. But I wouldn't even, I would reject this guy before he even thought about it. Like if he was even listening to his podcast, I'd sit him down, slap him around and give him some common sense. Number one, how are you making minimum wage as a small business owner? You know how you're doing it, but you don't know anything about business. You don't listen to this show. You don't do any research. You don't read any books. You just start something and do am, am you know aimlessly wander around apparently. And I know this guy doesn't know anything about business because if he was his own business person, he wouldn't be asking for a raise of minimum wage. Anyone who is worth their salt, who understands anything about business, is not going to the government to ask for more regulations as a small business owner. You're not going to ask for your costs to go up. Employee cost. Yeah, that's right. When you pay an employee 15 bucks, when you're used to them paying, paying them $7, that's a pretty substantial increase percentage-wise. It's you know almost 100%. And when that happens, you have to raise your prices, which makes you less competitive to other industries from out of state on the you know, overseas, You know that whole trade war thing, and that whole we need to reduce the trade deficit and all that. The only people that want government regulations are big business, not small business. So this guy has no idea what he's talking about. So I, you know, he may, he may true, honestly, he may 
make minimum wage as a business person. But you know what you should do is you need to stop doing one of those jobs, probably that one one day a week one, and take that and invest in your company and start growing it and figuring out why you are only making minimum wage in your small business. No small business person should be making a minimum wage. In fact, I don't even think that article is being genuine. I don't think he really makes minimum wage. They just want to make it look bad. They just want to make it look bad. So here is the no consensus among economists. Studies of the effects of the Seattle wage hike have had different findings. See, this is what they do when it's a liberal policy. A 2017 University of Washington study, University of Washington study found that while wages, while wages went up, hours work declined. Which every single sane, rational person that knows business, that knows economics, that when you increase prices, when you increase cost, demand goes down. And it's flipped for this. It's flipped for um, this scenario. When a worker has to be paid more, the person that is willing to buy or pay their wage goes down. Less people can afford it. Less people will, less businesses will hire because the demand goes down when prices go up. It's supply and demand. It's the basics of economics. And people are avoiding in, voting in liberals and people to run their lives, to run their businesses, to run their cities who don't even know the first rule of economics. And that's why we're in the just terrible shape that we are in. That's why we are where we are at. It results in less pay for low-wage workers because they get their hours cut. They're making less net. They're making more per hour but less total per paycheck because they're not getting as much hours. So, and then they have to make a caveat to their own story because, again, it's a liberal policy. But in a follow-up published last year, the authors noted that this wasn't the case for everyone, not all people, and experienced workers in low-wage jobs saw their earnings rise. So this is what happened. The University of Washington study came out with the honest truth. Then they got blowback, pushback. You know what happens with like the founders documentary, the by what standard and any other thing that goes against the left, it goes against the mob. There's pushback and majority of the time there's caving. There's caving. And so what they said, not everyone. So that one person lucked out and got their hours maintained or increased with the hourly wage increase. But you know what happened? This is what happened, guys. For those of you you who had that minimum wage and didn't get your hours cut, you're doing more work. You're doing the work of the people that got fired, got laid off, or didn't get hired when business increased, and you're just doing more work because it's always going to balance out. When you don't employ, when you don't pay your employees well, you're going to lose them, or they're going to be discouraged and do less work. There is this equilibrium that happens, and it's not something I can prove. This is anecdotal in my mind. Well, not in the minimum wage case. That is actually, you can prove it. But even in this case of discouraged, disgruntled workers, when you pay people poorly, they're going to do worse work for you. When you pay people better, they're going to do more work for you. And you're going to get what you paid for. I mean, that's just a universal rule. It's common sense, right? So, okay. And I'm totally tangents, and I need to wrap this up. But just to say, and then they throw out a University of Berkeley study that says nothing happened. There's no wage problem. So apparently Berkeley has become a school that doesn't know anything about economics. Shocker. Shocker that Berkeley is, you know, a liberal bastion of intelligence. What do you do? But do not be discouraged. Do not despair. 
if you're feeling despair, go watch A.D. Robles' show on the YouTube channel. Man, he's great. I'm so glad he's my co-host at Reformed Jellicle. If you haven't checked it out, it releases every Friday. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you Monday. Think about that idea that you're going to be doing for 250, making 250. Reach out to me with any questions. And let's be successful together to further the kingdom of God. <laughs>